Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 15 of The Believer. Pete, this is our second Mandalorian-ish podcast this week. I know listeners to uh, to both feeds where you're hearing this uh, have gotten our Disney Investor Day uh, podcast summarizing the near four-hour event leading to a near, not even near, over-hour podcast uh, where there were some key Star Wars takeaways. you want to quickly review that for us? Well, the, the biggie, maybe the easiest call in Hollywood, is that, of course, Ahsoka is getting a spinoff show. There is also the Rangers of the New Republic show coming, in addition to all the other offerings and movies coming, uh, chief among which the stealthy but sensational, nonetheless, uh, Patty Jenkins uh, theft from Warner Brothers, who will now direct the Rogue Squadron movie coming Christmas 2023. Of course, we will cover all of those shows and movies as they hit on our Fantastic Geek family of podcasts. And Pete, something that we did not discuss in the Disney Investor Day podcast, uh, I must confess, something that I heard but did not even write down as I was watching it live, um, the the end game here uh, at some point, two years from now, three years from now, uh, Rangers of the New Republic, Star Wars Ahsoka, and The Mandalorian will have a crossover event. I think we could assume that's more Disney Plus than it would be movies, but the idea of the Avengers of the Mandalorian corner of Star Wars, uh, something that is looming far off, but not too far off. This, as we've already had team-ups on The Mandalorian, but Star Wars is vital and alive as ever, and away we go. With that, it's time to hit the hunt. A shuttle flies over the Carthon chop fields as a crane hauls a TIE fighter, and the landscape seems almost entirely composed of cockpits. Prisoners weld, Matt. See, they do that even after they get caught. <laughs> it's, it's all they know. A New Republic Corrections droid wielding a stun baton stalks inmate 34667 Miggs Mayfeld and tells him to descend and receive new instructions. He's to salute Marshal Dune, who remands him into her custody. The droid directs him to follow her to transport, but he wants to know what's going on. Uh, and indeed, it's a common courtesy, uh, which he's not extended. Uh, Pete, this, yet another scene where it's crossed my mind. I wish that they had put Cara Dune's uh, uh, martial badge somewhere on the costume, you know, whether it's kind and of... And not on her belt? Uh, you know what, Pete? I had not noticed it on the belt, and I had been looking. So maybe, perhaps something a bit more, uh, a bit more cinematic. You know, she's being shot for close-ups and things of what and whatnot. But uh, the belt will do, I suppose. Uh, they ascend a garbage hill uh, and approach Slave One. 
Boba and Fennec descend from it. Phew! Mayfeld thought Boba was this other guy with the helmet, and oh crud, Mando comes out too. Uh, There's some concern that perhaps uh, this is curtains for Mayfeld, uh, but instead it's confirmed via dialogue that uh, though he may be ex-Imperial, he's still, emphasis on the ex there, he's been out of the game for a while, but he still knows, Pete, what I will call Imperial etiquette and protocol. (laughs) His clearances here, uh, side note, how about Boba Fett with the glow up on the armor? Yeah, it he looked fantastic, especially since obviously the armor was so beat up in previous episodes. Here's the nerd conversation I was having in my head, Pete. So they've given him the new paint job and it looks great, but there still are some dings in there, which is part of, yeah, it's part of that star Wars lived in aesthetic, but like, didn't he just hit the paint shop? Like in the last week, like again, this is, this is, these are good problems to have, but oh, you got to maintain the, the dent goes back to dad dad dings it getting into slave one back on Camino in attack of the clones it's maybe like the fifth best thing to come out of attack of the clones <laughs> um and therefore obviously the origin of head bonking in a new hope i guess my point being less the ding and more just that there still were some scratches but the overall the paint job looks great yes pete we just spent 30 seconds talking about boba fett's paint job life is really good right now uh, the title card, Chapter 15, The Believer. We'll talk about who exactly is the Believer in a little bit. But Slave One lifts off, and we get to see the gyroscopic interior, and it's everything I've always hoped for. Yeah, I, again, kind of immediate nerd reaction was, this is impractical. Most Star Wars vehicles are impractical in some level or another. That's especially clear in the clone wars series where it's like this beautiful wing will just you know uh come to the right by 30 feet after you take off and stuff like that it is what it is in the world of star wars and it does look very very cool um it's one of these things too where it's like was that in the volume like it, it somehow it was so expansive one thinks it might not be but then the volume continues to give these expansive things hence it being a volume um but bottom line here, uh, everyone's eyeing Mayfeld. He's not going to help get codes from, uh, oh, wait, what? They have the little green guy? Mayfeld is sympathetic, but he's told he will not be getting his freedom. So why help? And Cara Dune says, a shot at a better view. There's an internal Imperial terminal on Morak. What? Says Mando. There's nothing there. No, no. Mayfeld maintains it's a secret imperial mining hub if they can get him there he can get the coordinates and Mando gives Boba the coordinates he needs to head to Morak and Slave One whisks away later Boba has done an initial scan of the planet and they check out the hologram they see the refinery and Boba notes that they are mining Rendonium highly volatile and explosive they have anti-aircraft cannons protecting it and fennec notes a platoon of security forces so they'll have to go in real quiet indeed and uh much of this episode early on just so emblematic of how the series works in terms of kind of um plain unsneaky presentation of important story points you know they do the scan oh look here's what the scan reveals 
uh, and that's not a criticism. I'm just noting, you know, it's it's the form of the show. Uh, Slave One is going to do a flyby and then parks a ways away so that the crew can scout uh, the, the, the bits and pieces. The plan is that they infiltrate um, and Boba Fett is going to stay with Slave One and get them off of the roof. But who's going in? Well, let's see. Not anybody in a New Republic register uh, because they would be scanned and outed. So that means no Cara Dune, also no Fennec Shand. Uh, the laconic and dry note from Boba Fett that his face <laughs> might be recognized. There, Pete, also so such a great example of how the show operates. That is both a... I don't want to say a deep cut, but that is both a... You need to have much more commitment in Star Wars to understand that cut. Or, if you don't understand the reference, you just say, oh, because he's like a, a bad, famous baddie, or like whatever it is, you fill in the blank. So it works with total knowledge and zero knowledge. The number of ways, too, he might be recognized. I mean, that Mayfeld sees the iconic Boba Fett armor, yes, it's it's gotten a, a nicer paint job, um, but doesn't recognize him, nor Fennec Shand, okay? Um, and then that he's a clone, presumably perhaps one of the last, I mean, Rex, hopefully, maybe still out there, maybe, maybe a, uh, an Ahsoka cast member, I mean, Tamora Morrison could actually be on a couple of these shows concurrently. Uh, maybe Rex is a is a ranger of the New Republic or or in that. But uh, yeah, certainly I, I like the way that you you phrased it with the with the dry humor. Watching a scaled down juggernaut transport roll into a tunnel here. They hatch this plan. Uh, so it can't be Kara, can't be Fennec can't be boba well who's gonna go oh mando will go but wait a second you gotta take off your helmet that'll never work he scans into the cabin notes that uh notes visually for us that they're wearing um helmets and uh and and armor so they're gonna do the old switcheroo uh, and indeed they do. We see the big rig, Juggernaut 4, slowing as it enters a tunnel. Mando, Mayfield, and Dune jump on board. Uh, P. Uh, they're like Juggernaut the... 5. Juggernaut 5, my apologies. Uh, Kara takes both of them out. It's a really, really nice moment um, where it's just like, you know, no, no further discussion needed. She's just going to beat the crap out of both of them until they pass out. Presumably Pete then also, you know, die. Um, although the, sh the show glosses that over a bit because later Mayfeld is putting on one of the uniforms. <laughs> um, yeah, reference made to how it, the glove is still wet. <laughs> That's gross. Um, and I then, don't think it's wet because Cara Dune beat the, the snot out of the guy. I think it's wet because, as Mayfeld said, the, the guy stank. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's it, it's it's appropriately gross. Bill uh, Burr is a delight in Star Wars, and you know I'm I'm hopeful too. He's going to wind up with a with a more permanent presence in, if not this show, one of these spinoffs. Off screen, Mando has changed into the uh, the other outfit, and he has bagged up his armor, which he gives to uh, to Cara Dune. 
uh, armor handed over to Cara Dune here in the duffel bag. Keep it safe. But what would they say on Mandalore, Mad? Oh, the shame. Into the cabin, Mayfield throttles up and they're off. Great acting here throughout the episode by Pedro Pascal, but particularly in the suit. If that's him there in the suit, I got to feel that it is. But the, the stiff and straight posture to Mayfield in the uh, in the other helmet taking his off. And I don't know how you people wear those things. And by you people, he definitely means Mandalorians. And I think, Pete, with that line, you know, how do you people, uh, I think that that's our entry point to to some of the um, the metaphor of the episode. And this is not an episode whose metaphor is very deep, but just the idea, you know, that's kind of vaguely coded racism Um and the fact that Mayfield, pardon me, Mayfeld ultimately is the um, is the hero of his own story here, and by and large the hero of, of the episode. Uh, yeah, I think there's meant to be a little bit of soft discussion here from this uh, directorial outing and script by Rick Famuyiwa, just in terms of uh, openness, communication, you know, breaking down barriers, things of that sort. If there's not someone like Rick Famuyiwa as a Nigerian-American to tell this story, Matt, I don't know who is. What takes place here between Mayfeld and Mando is this veiled discussion about uh, tradition, about faith, obviously the Mandalorian creed, what version of it that Danjarin adheres to, you don't show your face. But being called on it here, wait a minute, is it you don't show your face or you don't take off your helmet because you're wearing a Stormtrooper helmet now? But the whole thing here is in service of character and story. Why is Mando doing this? Because he loves Grogu, because he wants to save him, because he wants him back. So, huh, Matt, when something is important to you, you sacrifice for it. Otherwise, you know, it's not important to you. Yeah, and I think, again, there's a there, there's a certain artistry um I don't want to say, say basic as it is. I don't want to take away from this. As we've discussed many times before, this is a show whose construction is is traditional, um, using Western tropes, samurai tropes, that sort of thing. Um, and then the, the excitement lives within it. I mean, heck, Pete, last week, we've since found out that last week's episode was a 19-page script, and uh, and things needed to be done to to puff it up to a, to the 30-minute mark. Why? Because John Favreau has created a uh, creative environment where it's not about, you know, checking dialogue boxes all the time and and those sort of things. It's about creating a place where, you know, you have a story hole, fill it with fight choreography, fill it with special effects, fill it with lingering on the costume or the prop creation or all of those things that make film and TV a larger storytelling device than just the author and and the feathered quill and and let's say you know like a, like a presentation on the stage that kind of thing um and, and we're seeing that here just in terms of 
the guy who's most opposite to our hero, to the named hero of the series, the Mandalorian, is the one to give some insight and to give some truth, even though we kind of like him least amongst all the other people coming in to save the day. Matt, are you saying that the unnamed director of last week's episode, who might be busy with um, minor real estate uh, transactions, that that might have gotten in the way of taking a 19-page script with perhaps the most iconic science fiction anti-hero, not named Han Solo of all time, and uh, been unable, been uh, not ready, not up to the task, despite supposedly being a massive fan of the Fet. All I would say, Pete, is it would be a shame if that person's self-professed uh, lack of skills, quote, I am a bad director, close quote, if that actually came to pass on the hottest property, property on TV in Uh, 2020 and possibly the hottest thing on screens in 2020 given the lack of movies etc but pete to focus on this episode intercut with some of these discussions about uh about uh dogmatism uh unintentional reference there to the director pete who's High watermark may have been dogma, but I digress. Um, intercut with this discussion, we have the the big rig driving through a village, stony children looking on. Mayfeld also noting that Republic or Empire, they're all outsiders here. And the great line, heck, look at the strongly held beliefs uh, on Mandalore and Alderaan. Completely different beliefs, but both planets are gone. And uh, the line, which... Again, in the in the the restraint and artistry of the writing of this show, Mayfeld kind of concludes this scene and this discussion uh, and this kind of uh, musing because we're about to up the action. But this idea, you just need to get through your day and sleep at night. It sounds like a nice thing to wrap up a monologue. It all, which is true, it also is setting up, you know, uh, a story payoff towards the end of the episode. And total shades of uh benicio del toro's dj in the last jedi okay this idea that good guys bad guys mandalore alderaan does it matter everybody's just trying to get through the day and uh you know you're lucky if you can sleep at night um mando sees himself in the the child he locks uh eyes with helmet to eyes of course um so all setting up story for later on here okay but the the takeaway everybody's got their lines you don't cross okay until things get gets messy and of course we know that's coming just then juggernaut three there's actually some screw up over the comms so they're riding in juggernaut five uh juggernaut four had gone through um before them and uh this is juggernaut uh three reporting they might be coming up on some route interference and then frantically radio control for a new 
explosion off in the distance there. And then a woman says that Juggernaut 4 has been destroyed, despite the fact that that was Juggernaut 3 on the comm. So there's a little bit of a cross-up here. Pete, I look forward to this being fixed in post in the next month, just as hashtag RIP jeans guy, who now... Dude, Jeans guy was was done in like three days, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I will point out, Pete, again, kind of with with um, acknowledgement of the the basic storytelling craft here, you know, rule of three, the first one in the line, whatever number it has, the first one explosion, the next one explosion, the third one. Oh, man, the weight of all that trouble is now about to be on, you know, our hero, uh, Mando and Mayfield, our heroes, Mando and Mayfield. Uh, Mayfeld, pardon me again. Uh, we see ultimately local pirates on a on a hover sled uh, pulling on up, uh, jumping on Mando's rig. Uh, they have thermal detonators. Um, at, Pete also they have no lack of sleds because one sled is taken out. Then here come up two more. No, there's three more. There's just Pete. There's as much as the story needs, and that's okay. Um, we also have, to my mind, a Star Wars first. Click click. Those cheap blasters that they give the, uh, the 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 transport pilots beat out of ammo. What wasn't an out of ammo thing? Or I thought potentially. I mean, it's never explained. Uh, did it did it break? Is it out of ammo? Does the rhinonium uh, have some effect on blasters? You weren't supposed to fire near it. Did it maybe interfere? I think. Look, the, the desire of the story, the desire of Rick Famuyiwa at this point is to say, Mando's a good shot. They're far enough away where he can just shoot them one by one on this one and a half person wide truck. It's easy enough to just have, you know, they're, they're going to line up and they can be shot. Wait, that's a visual problem. Okay, the answer is the gun doesn't work anymore. Whether it's out of ammo, I think that's, it's meant to be evocative of that in, in the Western sense. Um or jammed, or space rays, or whatever it is. The again, this is kind of like we we can pedantically uh, complain about the, the authorship contribution here. What did the story want? No more gun. So that's when fighting moves hand to hand. A few go under the wheels, and I love the subtle bump bump that <laughs> that you see in the cabin that you see later on with one of the wheels. It's it's beautiful and subtle and violent all at the same time. <laughs> It is, and the the action here of this chase sequence can't be denied. This as the rhinonium begins to heat up after uh, the one hover skiff explodes, and the back and forth of the alarm and the temperature gauge um, very visually making it clear explosions bad. High speed, bad, slow, and uh, no uh, thermal detonators, good. Round two of the fight unfolds. Still more sleds of pirates arriving. Uh, this time we see a thermal detonator placed on the Rhydonium. Pete, I know we've seen thermal detonators aplenty, but just the way the close-up was on the Rhydonium just reminded me that uh, one day in a galaxy far, far away... Uh, you, me, nay, all of us will be able to go to Galaxy's Edge in a uh, in a worry-free environment. Buy that Galaxy's Edge exclusive Coca-Cola or Sprite. 
uh, made in a in a bottle that looks like a thermal detonator that for a week's time was forbidden to be brought on planes until right. the weight of the mouse was brought onto the uh, the TSA, the security folks, to say, no, it's an empty soda bottle. Let people buy their soda bottles and bring them home. How great that the TSA, um, you know, canonically was was searching for thermal detonators. Uh, yeah. I have a cousin who works for the TSA. It seems like a lot of it just involves yelling at people who don't speak English. But I digress, Pete. Um, Mando ultimately picks up that thermal detonator. No soda this time, although perhaps the same result. You throw a bottle of soda, you throw a thermal <laughs> detonator. It may explode. Uh, it's also not very good for you, so it should be done in moderation. Um, and Pete, the explosion, Rick Famuyiwa director taking perhaps a little liberty with the the way the explosion hangs in the air it blows away one sled the next sled goes through it and it blows up uh, but again it's it's glorious and violent at the same time yes and intercut with this the the spear fighting and the the bashing of uh mando's uh armor um all the while mayfeld uh, with the red line in the cabin, the the tension, the Ludwig Gorenson's tick-tocking score here, letting us know uh, that things are dangerous, uh, much like with the films. You know, you could you could turn the audio, uh, with the exception of the score down, and and know what the stakes of the story are. Mando tells Mayfeld to uh, drive faster, but again, the alarm goes up and he cuts the speed. The pirates catch up. Two of them pin Mando while one gets the detonator on there. Okay, that strike that you mentioned before. All right, the refinery now in view. And uh, Mayfeld has to stop to cross the bridge. Two more skiffs become five more skiffs it's just a great moment here with mando stretched out on the top of the juggernaut and the the pain sigh like okay gets to his feet you know you you shudder to think what he would have done to get out of the situation obviously he doesn't know what's coming um and then the two tie fighters from above shooting around the rhindonium Matt, a little scary. <laughs> um, they also apparently don't see that Kara and Fennec, who are now inexplicably on the ridge, the one that has been driven to uh, by the juggernaut, conceivably for miles and miles and miles up the, the dirt road, um, are uh, right there. Well, I think I can explain away the TIE fighters not noticing uh fennec and Kara, just on account that they're they're focused on the uh the mission directly in front of them um ultimately though yes the tie fighters pete mando there sighing essentially is all hope lost and then a new hope tie fighters save the day stormtroopers is this the first time we've ever rooted for the empire uh i think so or cheered the empire i mean i know matt stood up in his living room or wherever it was he was watching this uh, episode Friday when his favorite Stormtrooper design, the Rogue One Shore Troopers, uh, made their Mandalorian debut. 
I I was glad to see uh, what I call the Sand Troopers. I remember the first time I saw that design was uh, at New York Comic Con at the Star Wars Toys panel. Um, and uh, and yeah, it it was a great it was a great use. It kind of makes sense in this, uh, you know, dirt kind of you know forest green, dirt brown kind of planet to have to, to have that uniform at least be part of the mix there. Yeah, uh, Mando's back in the cab, and they're saluted as they enter. Inside the refinery, there's applause, and there's uh, miners. All they got to do is find a terminal, probably in the officer's mess. Mayfeld sees it, but sees an officer and retreats quickly after he looks at him. He tells Mando, it's Valen Hess. And uh, Valen Hess, Matt, is played by the Night King from Game of Thrones. And just an absolutely awesome choice here for the way that this guy chews up these lines, son. Yes, also Joe Chill from Batman Begins, that actor Richard Brake, which is just a great (laughs) acting name as well. Um, Yeah, just, again, somebody who... We see time and time again in this show, there all no, there are no small parts, only small actors, and he's not given a ton of screen time, but he's you know forever going to be remembered here in a little bit. Um, there is, of course, a little bit of a delay with him getting his close-up because Mayfeld, uh, seeing Valen Hess, turns right around um, and uh, says that uh, that he. He, uh, Mayfeld, was an Imperial officer that served under uh, Hess uh, in the past. So time to leave. Again, Mayfeld constantly ready to kind of punch out and end the mission. Uh, But Mando reminds us at the halfway point of the episode, we need to stick with this so we can get the child back. Mando is going to go in with the data stick. But no, no, the terminal will need to scan his face. Nonetheless, Mando will do it. The tension of the face thing, the tension of being surrounded in the Viper's nest here by officers uh, making it a long walk, which again, you know, if you're, they, this is such a basic story, you know, if you're going to complain about that, then you're missing the point that this, this walk from the doorway to the computer is not meant to jump off the page. It's meant to, you know, be filmed at certain angles with certain lenses and certain amount of light and all of that other craft of TV and film. Yeah. You know, a filler episode in which the main character takes off his helmet for just the second time. Um, I love, too, that he's willing to at least give it a whirl, the facial scan with the helmet on. And then the the ticking clock from 10 that it's going to shut down all the while Hess uh, trying to get his attention now coming over um Mayfeld from the common area seeing the back of Mando's head and you know the the very real question despite Mayfeld telling him later on oh he didn't see his face the Imperial Network has now scanned Din Djarin's face you know Pete I had not fully thought that that might be set up for the future um, but indeed it may well be. And, and I don't mean to say this for the thousandth time this episode, but again, things, the, the, the show is kind of like, it's, it, it's crafted like a very uh, ornately made table 
that's got two different pieces of wood in some kind of intricate design where you look at it and go, oh, it's kind of like there's the there, there's the light side and there's the dark side and you, you like, whatever. You, you made the wood so it all fit together. It's actually a very, very difficult job to make the two things into one so that it is smooth across the top and everything is integrated. There's no cracks and the craftsmanship is in the plainness of it if you will it's in it's in having having everything right there same thing he just gets a scan because at the moment it is um it is pertinent to the story the notion that it might be for all we know huge setup for something as soon as next week or might come back in a season um that's also both in plain sight but it's not saying oh man here's the lingering zoom in at the end of the episode to say good guy or not this is definitely a to be continued moment hey trooper hey trooper indeed that's when hess uh notices him uh calling out to him mando gets questioned and seems fuzzy on the details uh beat mando not great at improv one can certainly tell uh mayfeld ultimately comes in bails him out oh that's tk 593 my commanding officer he don't hear too good due to losing pressure on his vessel what back at some prior thing that's a reference everybody will get so let's go fill out those tps reports pete did you know (laughs) that now there's an office space reference in star wars not the other way around It's, it's outstanding okay but they're not dismissed Matt, uh, commanding officer TK-593 and Imperial Combat Assault Transport Lieutenant TK-111. No, uh, they were the only uh, shipment delivered today. Uh, let's go get a drink, brown eyes. Yeah, it, it. what's great is it can play either way. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a certain sense of Hess is going to out them uh, or not. I mean, the notion that rank matters and I have chosen to go have a drink with these schlubs. They best not walk away because, look, I got all the red and blue uh, jazz on my, on, on my shoulder. That means I'm the higher rank person. That means they have to have the drink with me. It, it plays both ways. Cut to Kara and Fennec using uh, sniper scopes to eye the rooftop guards. Um, the cannon operators are identified. The troopers are identified. Uh, Fennec will get the cannon operators, carry the troopers. Uh, they'll be ready when they need to be. But wait, why are the guys taking so long? Boom, back to the officer's mess explaining why things are taking so long. So again, that wonderful uh, joining of the two story parts. Hess doesn't want to toast to something traditional. He'd like to do something a little less rote, Matt. And Mayfeld, having... Uh, crossed his line by going back in to bail out Mando, um, decides here, okay, well, I'm going to press on. And he suggests they toast to Operation Cinder. Mayfeld lived it. He was in Burnin Con. Uh, and Hess says that that was a hard day in which he had to make many unpleasant decisions. The whole city, Mayfeld tells us, was gone in moments, along with everybody in it. He lost his whole division that day, 5,000 to 10,000 people. All heroes of the Empire, Hess points out, though. And all dead, Mayfeld says, as 
Mando looks at him and gives him just the barest of uh, perceptible shake of the heads. No, <laughs> it's a tremendous uh, moment out of Pedro Pascal, who, again, we we get to see at this rate once a season without the helmet on. And Pete, I just want to point out burn in con, you know, when all those unpleasant decisions had to be made. Uh, Pete, it's kind of like looking at the schedule for some of the other cons, your Comic-Con, your NYCC, things like that, where you say, ooh, am I going to go to the this or the that? Unpleasant decisions. Um, The surprise here is after that toast to the Empire, this notion, this great speech um, that with all the chaos that's being sown, the Empire will be welcomed. Pete may be the central argument the central message here uh that everyone thinks they want freedom but what they really want is order therefore they will embrace uh the empire again perhaps that's a central message obviously it's being said by a bad guy so the the episode believes the opposite you see mayfeld processing this uh which i think is also a critical moment in terms of you could just have the quick reaction but you see him processing it um there's the toast to the empire Mayfeld shoots him in the chest. Again, there is a pause. No one can believe what just happened, Mayfeld included. The fact that you asked comedian Bill Burr to show that through his acting acumen, that's that takes a bit of a, you know, a, a, I don't want to say a leap. I don't know how great the guy is on set as an actor, but th- that's, that's a choice that's being asked. The fact that you edit it in in an episode that otherwise is like Boba Fett with the spinny thing, and then there's laser snipers, and there's the, you know, it's... um. Mad Max, uh, Glory Road with the, the the aliens and whatnot. Here, there's just that pause. Um, then Mayfeld takes out the officer who can't believe what just happened and the other ones in the room. Uh, Pete, before Mayfeld gives Mando his helmet. What about the poor shore trooper, Matt, with his tray and his sippy cup, who, you know, was just doing platoon duty outside and helped clean up the the lingering mess of the pirates. All the dude wanted was his lunch, and he's got to be witness to this. Back to Burr for a second, okay, who in the later seasons of um, uh, Breaking Bad does a tremendous job, okay, obviously comedic, but here selling it with the increasing uncomfortability sitting across from Hess as he's laying down what's going to happen over the next number of years, heading into the first order that uh, the, the Imperial remnant is, is going to push back that, that systems will come back to them. And, and he's making the decision in his mind and with his uh, body language that he's not going to stand for this. Uh, and as you noted, of course he did not see Mando's face Uh, They make their escape out the window as more guards come in from the common area to the officer's mess, move in along the uh, the ledge there. Uh, You know, my my favorite location in in all of Star Wars is Cloud City. Okay, Um, but I'm a sucker for anything with a waterfall, you know, Scarif. Uh, in Rogue One, and and here the the mining facilities got the the waterfall, uh, which again we know is not a real waterfall. These are just visual effects through the volume, and it's outstanding. Uh, make their way up to the roof. 
okay. Uh, the the drop in by Slave One and the jump onto it before uh, Mayfeld wants the Cycler rifle, uh, the um, Tuscan Raider Cycler rifle that Boba just happens to have on board. And we know he's this sharpshooter, and we see it now. He blows the one transport up. It, uh, you know, causes a chain reaction into the other one. And uh, Fennec, the uh, bounty hunter sharpshooter, knows what a great shot this is. And then the line, we all need to sleep at night. So just, you know, without the credits, without the previously on, this episode barely is a half hour long. But you get a beginning, middle, and end for Mayfeld, who ostensibly is not the focus of the episode, certainly is not the focus of the series, but you get everything in 30 minutes. You get a complete story with him. Um, They then quickly are pursued by two TIE fighters. Boba flips the ship this way and that, then straight up his solution. Pete, my my favorite Star Wars tech moment, certainly from the prequels, is the sonic bomb. Uh, and here we see it dropped by Boba Fett, just like his old man used to. Just that great, you know. There's the there's the soundlessness, and then the you know takes a moment for the sound to reach you. That, that Ben Burt <laughs> sound design that apparently there was a lot of debate as to whether it was appropriate or not. Um, and here it's, it's a just... guitar uh, chord. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just fabulous, and it also it's a nice story way to say. And thus they were pursued, as you would expect, in a base that used TIE Fighters 10 minutes ago to save the day. Of course, TIE Fighters are going to come out to save the day again. Boom. Now all the TIE Fighters, presumably, all you know, all threats are now dealt with. They land to pick up the ladies here. And uh, as they're about to take Mayfeld back, the discussion rounds to it being too bad he didn't make it out alive back there. So the end result... On Morak, a planet where there is nothing, Matt, except, of course, a secret Imperial mining hub, he is left to fend for himself. Well, and also there, part of the nothing is the native peoples of Morak. But, I mean, yes, I initially I felt bad, like, oh, man, this guy is now, he's on his own. But it's like, that's the upgrade. The upgrade is you're not in prison anymore and... Uh, your your official record says deceased. Make with it what you will. You're still not a great guy, uh, you know. But but now it, now things are less less bad. Um, I like that there's the acting moment here, Pete. I know we've given uh, Ms. Carano uh, a, a run for her money, uh, but here she literally looks the other way as he slowly walks off, so she can say. I think in her mind, the, act, the, the the acting thing or the character moment is, you know, and I did not see him after I discussed with the Mandalorian bounty hunter about his death. Then she sneaks him one quick look just to make sure <laughs> things are good there. So so does Mando have the coordinates? What about the next move? Uh, Slave One takes off as Mayfeld watches. Then Pete, give us this final scene here. Moff Gideon's cruiser uh, in space and that female comms officer tells him that there is something he should see. We get the holographic message that is almost a repeat of Moff Gideon's uh, address to 
uh, Mando and Kara and Grief Karga and IG-11 inside the Mud City Cantina back on Navarro in Chapter 7. Except, of course, that soon he will be back with Mando and he, that of course, the child Grogu, means more to him than Moff Gideon will ever know. Pete, a fabulous moment here. I cannot imagine a better ending to the penultimate episode of season two than to have that. Uh, I think that uh, my expectation at the beginning of the season would have been that the Moff Gideon problem is going to be dealt with and completely resolved this season. Uh, then you have you know some comments about you know Favreau has a four-year plan, a five-year plan, that sort of thing. So, so then maybe not. I think that the momentum headed into next week's episode is that it might not be curtains for Gideon, but boy, it certainly could be based on the strength of that scene. And then in the credits, Matt, did you notice the sequel trilogy connection? Uh, I did not. Do tell. In the art uh, with the skiffs conceivably drawn up for the rise of Skywalker, Poe Dameron is pictured on one of them. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a fun little moment. Let's chase down some theories. Pete, I know a lot of um, a lot of digital ink spilled. I think it was a Hollywood Reporter article that that was was really really earnest. Don't get me wrong, because I, I I know that we have these hardcore discussions each week. I know that our listeners are having a lot of the similar thoughts. So listening to what we have to say, we're discussing it all on Twitter. But there was a Hollywood Reporter article that was really digging deep to say, what if Moff Gideon's clone force clone plan is it set up for Snoke? Pete, I think barring unfolding adventures in The Mandalorian, yeah, that's the assumption, right? I mean, it it doesn't have to exclusively be that. We know, because of the rise of Skywalker, that the Emperor will eventually start this project. Does this, years and years before, have to be that? I mean, it, it could... Snoke also has to meet Ben Solo, seduce Ben Solo. Uh, Ben Solo then has to fight with Luke, destroy his school, go off with Snoke, turn into Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren, and then do the whole thing there. Uh, So it's a trail of breadcrumbs that we may never need to necessarily devour i do rather like the idea that it could be there could be the intent that it's kind of headed in that direction but there's the solid plan like the five-year mandalorian plan is not to ever get there it's just to kind of suggest the edge of it but it's too big it's too long term for it to kind of be captured here um so i certainly like that i think it speaks to the scale of the show that's both very very intimate and and mostly centered on this one guy and his space kid but then also brushing up against these largest of issues in the galaxy well you said it his kid and and this is now definitively linked with Din Djarin, uh 
that uh, Cara Dune refers to it as refers to Grogu as his child. I think we're firmly in the situation now. And the irony is it's the first episode. It's the first chapter of this series in the first 15 in which Grogu does not appear at all. And his presence still looms large. There's now a sense of ownership explicitly that he is with Mando they're a paired bond and that's never breaking up yeah and add to that the duty that this episode has to really kind of set things up for the season finale in terms of theories i guess my immediate thought is how long could this season finale be i i think that we were we were we had the expectations set early on in the first season of approximately a half hour and feel lucky if it's you know 38 minutes then we started this season with longer episodes and they they got a bit shorter and i think you know we've discussed on the podcast for some people that's a a warning sign for us it's just the size of the story this week was 30 minutes without uh, previously on and and credits and whatnot and it kind of it is what it is uh, i have to admit pete i'm kind of hoping that friday morning um when i click on the episode to you know to see you know 45 48 52 minutes like something that feels like a double length episode i'm kind of hoping for that i i think it could be on the longer end they're so good and matt you know the links i will go to to try to get information about these they're really, really good at holding stuff back. I mean, sometimes 11th hour, you start to get, all right, you know, a couple weeks ago before the uh, Boba Fett uh, second return, uh, the, the, um, the Tython episode, the, uh, the minute count leaked out uh, right the day before. And suddenly people were, oh, it's only 32 minutes. This is awful. I want, I want 64 minutes. And, and yes, we all want more of the Mandalorian, but this show just has a way of keeping you coming back for more. I mean, I finished this episode, uh, 4am on Friday morning and, um, you know, there's only one left and then maybe Christmas next year if they're able to to manage uh, shooting an entire season and they are shooting now uh, but shooting and producing a season amongst the worst COVID numbers yet in the United States and potentially a very dark winter even with a vaccine going into arms momentarily for health workers thank goodness but you know it seems like it might feel like even longer until we're looking at more of it. So maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll get the, the supersized finale. We'll, we'll finish our theory segment today talking about our finale predictions. But let's talk about the title of this chapter, Matt. Who is the believer? I think the mind first goes to Din Djarin, but I like as a better option Miggs Mayfeld in terms of somebody who's been wrestling with his beliefs. Yes, so is the Mandalorian with the, the helmet stuff, but you know, there's this arc 
implied prior to this episode that, that this episode gets into a little bit with Mayfeld in terms of, you know, needing to be able to sleep at night, getting stuff off his chest. He carries with him the weight of the things he has done um, as part of the Empire, perhaps as a hired gun, whatever it is. And the opportunity here to believe in uh, to believe in freedom, not uh, not control, um, not order, to, to believe in the freedom that he has enjoyed as a rogue scoundrel post-Imperial service, um, and to kind of believe what you need to believe in from moment to moment, to not be told these are the rules and this is what you must do, to kind of believe in, in yourself. Um, to me, that all points best to Migs Mayfeld. I think I would lean uh, heavily towards that aspect as well. I mean, the believers just wouldn't work, Matt, as a as a title. Um, I have to say, I, I think it's the most unusual title that any of the episodes have had so far. And, and you got to wonder, too, you know, we had one called Redemption, like what kind of, I guess freedom or variance they might show uh four titles the more chapters we see will we get you know in essence multi-word uh titles who knows uh there have been leaked lists of titles that have been so completely off it's it's not even worth mentioning um but mayfeld dinjarin um what they believe, how they believe it, how they go about it, and what's happened here. You've left this ex-Imperial sharpshooter field operative on Morak with a population of people and pirates. Um, super, super hopeful we'll bring Bill Burr back again for another adventure with uh, Mando at some point. These Mandalorian rules, though, that are questioned, I think, you know, so much of this season has been about uh, Din Djarin coming into contact with two other sets of Mandalorians. I mean, all right, so the, the Night Owls, you know, Bo-Katan and, you know, her people, and then Boba Fett, I'm, I'm counting as a group because basically he's just that deadly. Um all of whom remove their helmets. We've had the disclosure by Bo-Katan that he's a child of the watch. Uh, you know, these, these fanatic, these zealot uh, Mandalorians who don't remove the helmet want to return to the, to the ancient ways. Um, and, and Boba Fett as this simple man, just making his way through the universe and, and he removes his helmet so we can see his, uh, scarred from the Sarlacc pit, uh, you know, uh, unadapted clone face because he ages at a normal rate. But what exactly is the creed? And I mean, it's clear what's happening from a story sense We're we're opening up the uh, dogma that Din Djarin adheres to so that we can see Pedro Pascal's face more because he has definitively not been fired from this show. 
Uh, Pete, you have reminded me of that rumor from uh, near a year ago. Um, look, maybe I'm approaching my answer with the perspective of a you know a liberal Protestant, but I think the message of the show is uh, not that these are exceptions to the rule. It's question the rules, question if they're still applicable, question what you're getting out of them, and if they're not fitting the times, if they're not fitting the circumstances. Um, then live your ideals, but don't blindly, <laughs> literally don't blindly put on a helmet, which is, you know, <laughs> partially blinding you. Um, change with the times, change with the circumstances, bring change about. Um, that's the only takeaway I can have from it. I mean, Pete, if, if Din Djarin had questioned these ideals a little sooner, you know, there's that widow back on um, Blue Shrimp Planet that uh, was more than eager for him to take off his helmet and perhaps more um, and, and, and I think all concerned might have might have lived happily ever after um, so I think that you know does the show have an agenda to push a certain perspective no but I mean in the Star Wars universe right we see different races getting along and and usually especially if you think of the original trilogy the farther you are from central power hey just kind of live your life and things are cool like i i hate the empire but what can i do about it i gotta be a moisture farmer like there's there's a certain sense of self-reliance here that i think favreau and company are following through on to say continue to rely on yourself and if your if your religious views are such that it might be time to reassess. Go ahead and reassess. Don't just do because you were told to do. Now, Pete, I know there are some people out there on social media and whatnot who have the the exact opposite take, that this is affirming um, religious tradition and things of that sort. Ultimately, it speaks to the quality of the show that you can see both a very um, uh, liberal view of religion and, and behavior, as well as a very conservative one in the show. It's a mirror, Pete. Well, the fundamental question that Din Djarin answers is, and, and Mayfeld as well, what are you going to do for what you care about? Will you remove your helmet to get your little green child back? And he does that. He's willing first to, you know, see if it'll scan him with a helmet on of course it won't um so the end result is he is scanned by this machine his face is now in a system also what was mentioned earlier in the episode which is super important going forward this idea the first we've ever heard in star wars that a genetic profile would be scanned that they would know just because of the air that Cara Dune, uh, New Republic Marshal is there, that Fennec Shand, uh, dangerous sharpshooter, that Boba Fett, who went on missions for, you may have heard of Darth Vader, and also uh, is the template, at least his father was, which he's identical to, uh, every Stormtrooper clone you had at one point. Um, so Din Djarin's genes are now recognized by the imperial imperial security bureau they have that card to play okay so they're going to recognize mando going forward this to me sets up 
at some point more use for the helmet. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to Mandalore at some point. Um, the empire is going to come looking for Din Djarin. Uh, Oh wait, how are we going to know him with all these people wearing uh, Mando helmets? It kind of creates almost, and I would imagine you could go at it from a Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, pot chase uh, scenario uh, in in Cairo. Well, Pete, if nothing else, the thought that uh, The Mandalorian, a Star Wars show, a Lucasfilm product, is uh, maybe taking some sort of uh, ethereal... Uh, hinting from Indiana Jones, also a Lucasfilm product. You know, it's, Pete, hashtag it's all George Nected. <laughs> so apparently New Republic marshals can just take prisoners from prisons, get them killed, and it's like, oops. Uh, I would buy that. I mean, I don't know the exact uh, rules and particulars of kind of U.S. marshals in the Old West, but to me, the Western the western aesthetic to me that tracks that like i got the badge i can i can do the justice uh, i can call it justice and if stuff happens well i got the badge i could tell you i mean <laughs> maybe that's a comment as well uh, uh unintentional or not about about policing and whatnot but to keep it firmly in the old west aesthetic i i buy it that marshall cara dune can can do just what she did in the episode if these internal imperial terminals are that difficult to come by, you know, on the secret mining hub of, of Morak where uh, Mayfeld knows there's one to access, um, it's in the officer's mess hall, it's not guarded, it seemed a little incongruous. Um, let's, let, let's put it in more modern uh, believable term, maybe not believable. Let's put it in more modern terms. Pete, do you have? Yeah, I mean, you surely have access, as do many of us. You have access to the the shared Google Drive of your employer. I mean, maybe not every last thing, but you know, they put stuff on the shared drive. They put stuff on the whatever. You know, it's easy for you to access that when you log in. Now, of course, Star Wars um, conceptually existing from this pre cloud storage time and whatnot, so. Don't let that difference lead to lead to a breakdown of my theory here or, or my analogy. Um, just the notion that you can log on with your credentials even at the lower end of things and you can see uh, some level of documents maybe not meant for public consumption. It doesn't mean the most secret of secret plans, but you could see stuff that maybe you know is a draft not meant to be out there uh, in, in the public view. That's kind of how I view it here. Again, if you remove kind of the cloud login from anywhere, Internet of Things perspective, um, the, the Pete of 15 years ago who might have to go to a work location and bleep, bloop, blop, put that info in, that's kind of the world that this is existing in. Uh, even if we scale it back even further to like, it's not tons of access to computers let's let's bring back 30 years ago oh you need to go one of to one of the four computers in the building that will give you access to this that's kind of where the episode is operating and the notion that, that it's not necessarily under lock and key in a secret base surrounded by a whole bunch of gunmen who are there to protect the base to me it all kind of tracks so it's mispronounced by mayfeld ta nab 
but the Battle of Tanab, Matt, uh, that's a reference to Return of the Jedi, um, where Lando tells us that uh, the Rebellion must have heard about his little maneuver at the Battle of, and uh, he was made a general. Uh, I did not know that deep cut. I appreciate that deep cut. That's, again, why there is the partnership of Favreau and Filoni. Um, Favreau can just say, you know, in the script, in, in a draft, can say, you know, at the battle of, you know, insert old-timey battle, and Filoni will immediately, you know, he will, his robot brain will go clickety-click-click, and he will say, Tanab! And now it's a deep cut, and also... As with other things, it is great if you know it 100%. It works if you know it 0%. They cut Mayfell loose here, so we're not going to get a Magnificent 7? No, I think we, we have, because what are there? There's 4 plus Mayfeld. I think that's the biggest that we're going to get, um, just in terms of this mission. And I think, too, I suspect that the show is still retaining its... Um, kind of this idea of the core like you saw in this episode with all due respect to Cara Dune and Fennec Shand they were literally on the sidelines they were there when needed in terms of you know the, the sniper action which was important and valuable but the story did not focus on them the story kept them as supporting players I, that might be indicative of next week where you have uh, Mando and perhaps Boba Fett storming the metaphorical castle with, uh, with with the two ladies, again, playing a supporting role, important as it may be. So the coordinates where they uh, find Moff Gideon's cruiser uh, are in the Imperial map, Matt, if it's meant to be believed what were shown and they don't move elsewhere, that they're being tracked because of... Uh, you know, Mando's knowledge of where they are now, although you suspect it's more like a come and get me. This is around the world of Nar Shaddaa, which is also known as the Smuggler's Moon. And this was the moon that uh, the Hut species uh, laid claim to. So we could be going even bigger into some of the lore. I would welcome a hut i would welcome a uh a, a puppet hut a, a hut pit puppet um, the hut? <laughs> i mean the hut? No, none <laughs> of the, the computer yeah, muppet the hut yeah none of the computerized versions of uh java or that species worked uh and some of that was because it was early character stuff and obviously the the deleted scene from a new hope that has since been visited I think there are three versions of it. There's at least two. There might be three versions uh, along with kind of subversions along the way. Um, you know, Star Wars has a certain look and I think that it's difficult. Maybe that's just a character design that was, it was meant to be little people and a big giant puppet in a slug that didn't move much. And that's just so ingrained that when it moves, it looks fake. Um so I guess, I guess here's what I'm trying to say, Pete. I could see the show not going for it because it would be super expensive using skills that people don't really have anymore, which would be large-scale puppetry. Um, but, boy, I would welcome it at in the wee hours next Friday, watching the finale if, if out from the shadows there comes a hut and it just looks all puppety and perfect. I mean, if Favreau and Filoni here could reach for 
zero the hut or uh you know there were other huts on the clone wars that were kind of in a mob council there was one that was even patterned like uh marlon brando in the godfather um if they could do that that would be outstanding Zero the Hut may not have aged great as a character. I'll just leave it I, at that. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe the they want to go for just Cody esque uh, voice. It it might be a tough sell, but I, I'm with you on uh, you know give it give us a give us a puppet hut. Pete, what are your predictions for the season two finale of The Mandalorian? I mean, they've left it right there here's Moff Gideon come and get me um so you're gonna have slave one go to his cruiser mount some desperate rescue attempt do they have the the guts the wherewithal to to give us cost here um you can't get rid of Grogu could you kill off boba fett would would that or or make it seem like you did or any of our other characters fennec or even matt huh isn't it funny that uh here we are the discussion about gina carano all season when you know there's been the the stuff on social media you set this path forward before we had watched a frame of this season it takes very little oh wait down the hallway just went uh cara dune uh let's let's bring pedro into his closet real quick for some adr cara no boom end of season and at that time you were saying you know, then Mingna steps out of the shadows and says, Hey, I hear you need uh, a sharpshooter or, or a pal. And now she's in the fold. I mean, does she go? Pete, our pal, Mike Sorensen, who wrote in last week with lots of thoughts, he has become my personal Migs Mayfeld. He has softened, softened my dogmatic left leaning heart here. Um, here's going to be my prediction. No, she does not get killed off. My prediction is that the scope of the show is such that more often than not, we get rewarded, um, for our pretend story. This is not, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, which so effectively for six seasons punished the audience and then ineffectively at the end. Uh, this is not Walking Dead where week after week you go... Again, I've had my heart broken, or, or you know, the mountain is still so difficult to climb. This is a Sisyphean myth here. I think that I, I'm predicting that there will be no big character uh, cost asked for uh, from all the characters that you just mentioned. Um, I'm, I would think that you get Grogu and Mando reunited at the end. I think the notion of an Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger, even if it is just for 53 weeks... Um, to say, you know, and they and now they're going to spend the next year of us not watching the show because it's in between seasons. They're going to spend it apart. No, no, I think that's it's all going to be rewarded in what ultimately are these simply constructed 
Western tales. You know, at, the, at, at the end, John Wayne gets on his horse uh, with Claire Trevor at the end of uh, uh, Stagecoach or, or whatever it might be to, to go have that happiness that was sought. Um, so that's my thought there. Pete, can I give you a theory as to the title of the season two finale? Of course. So season one, every chapter had a the, mm-hmm. uh, the Mandalorian, the child, and so forth, until chapter eight, redemption. Okay. Ch- season two, we've had uh, all the chapters have had the in the title. Here's what I'm thinking, Pete. Chapter 16 also will start with an R. Mm-hmm. What is the most famous Star Wars R title word ever? Return? <laughs> return replaced revenge revenge of the jedi being the original title i'm going to predict either chapter 16 revenge uh or pete your backup answer works well return in that grogu is returned here's the one difference though pete i have a if different you... r title for you okay well let me finish the thought then we'll, yep. then we'll hear it from you um if the title four minutes into a 40 minute episode is return you're gonna go Oh, so he gets the kid back. Well, in the next 35 minutes, how does he get the kid back? Or if it's revenge, then it's going to be, well, wait, last week, who was the believer? This week, who gets the revenge? Is it Moff Gideon's revenge? Is it Cara Dune's revenge? It essentially becomes Clue. Who did it? Who's the revenger? Um, so, so yeah, but what's your thought? Well, I, in a similar vein, what if the title is Reunion? And same thing, you're thinking all right, that, that's the child and uh, Mando, right? Well, Bo-Katan and the Night Owls, are they going to swoop in at some point? We know that they're gearing up and they're hitting the Empire. Will they show back up? Will Ahsoka show back up? Will whatever, whichever Jedi Grogu has reached out to um, show up too? All options, Pete. All options, indeed. All right. Extend that antenna. Pete, we look at our Twitter poll. Uh, The options were Meh Mayfeld got 3.8%. Sniper Shand got 17%. Vroom Vroom got 15.1%. And then the predictive Gideon's Goose is Cooked is 64.2%. We heard from JT Adkins, that's at JTA is me. The fact that no rescue of the child progress was made yet, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment. Uh, Love the story arc and the helmet removal. This might be a different way. Uh, We also heard from James the Sagacious, that's at Big Killin. The 80s G.I. Joe cartoon had a two-part episode where the Joes had to transport explosive crystals, captives of, of Cobra, so this took me back to my childhood. The visual sound of the mine blowing up the TIE Fighters was the best shot of the series. But hats off to the writers. We are nothing alike trope made me wince. But they pulled, pulled it off with a stellar character arc in Mayfeld's Breakdown and Rampage. The story played perfectly into Burr's range. The conflict between Mayfeld and Mando pushed both of them to evolve. 
great observations there. Uh, we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Missed seeing Grogu this episode. I love heist episodes, and they did a great job with it. I think we will be seeing Mayfeld again. Um, interesting, Pete, I had not considered that this also is a heist job episode uh, with Migs Mayfeld, just like last season, just different particulars there. Yeah, I mean, before it was essentially the the prison break we get the prison break at the beginning of this episode. So they go on the old uh, stagecoach uh, mission. Yeah. Uh, we heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC 139. Quick thoughts after first watch. Fetch shiny armor. Magnificent five. Mando trooper. Saved by Imperials. Mando Mayfeld. Heroes of the Empire. Helmetus face scan. TPS reports. Firefight escape. Mando's message to Gideon first episode without grogu frowny face pete we also heard from the grand dom of fantastic geek i'm talking about lmd mary that's at geek kirk she says i'm so old pete she fibs she is ageless uh i grew up watching bonanza and gunsmoke and other such shows in reruns as a child one of the things i've seen complained about for the series is the pattern of the episodes uh and it makes me grind my teeth in frustration this is 100% how all old Western shows were. Get a mission, go someplace, have locals stop off at a little town along the way to get supplies. Have to help the locals with a baddie, move on. That could last six episodes back in the day. I know we've moved on in our narrative storytelling since then, but it's so true to Westerns, it just brings me nostalgic joy. And then they move on to something like this episode, which is 100% Star Wars, as well as brings big questions to the table that will develop the character of Din. So, some wisdom there, Pete, from Mary, reminding us that uh, the show has an archetype that it operates within. I mean, listen, Mary Kirk is the greatest fan in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and she's the second greatest uh, fan of Grogu. Uh, the first, of course, being myself. Um, but she's 100% correct here. Uh, I know she refers to the show as the Baby Yoda Chronicles. Quick side tangent, Pete. Why are the young Indiana Jones Chronicles not on Disney Plus? What's up with that? Because they're largely awful. Uh, they've all actually all been re edited. They've been, the, the Lucasfilm re edited all of them into like two hour movies or something like that. Um, did they? So, where's that? They did. Uh, I I've never I, seen them. I but, guess yeah. it was, I watched one and it was the one that had Harrison Ford in it. I, I know I watched that one for sure. I bet I watched the pilot and was like, <sighs> I don't really care for the young Indiana Jones. Uh, side note, Matt, you know, with the Indiana Jones movie we're getting in 2022 that Kathleen Kennedy announced uh, the other day, spoiler, uh, we're not. <laughs> it will fall apart yet again. But if we were to get it, I did see on social media, somebody said that uh, the, the beginning should uh, feature uh, a Dr. No-esque uh, volcano that uh, Indy and Short Round, now an adult, played by John Cho, should uh, infiltrate and steal back the remains of Nurhachi so it can go in a, a museum. And then the rest of the film should be a handoff to Shorty, who gets the fedora and becomes the heir apparent and not 
Shia LaBeouf because uh, he's now admitted to beating up girlfriends because he's been sued by one. And um, that's the way it should happen. Uh, Pete, we'll, we'll, we'll stick a pin in the uh, Indiana Jones uh, Connected Universe TV and Films podcast by Fantastic Geek. Uh, let's let's hear some more Mando stuff here. We heard from 084, that's O-H, number 8, F-O-U-R, on Twitter. Best episode of the series, in my humble opinion. I know that's a hot take given the extreme lack of Grogu, but... <laughs> Which, Pete, that's just a beautiful phrase there. Extreme lack of Grogu. Uh, Pete, do that you should have, be a uh, uh, Twitter handle. Do you have ELG? Itself. Yeah. Uh, but the character development and theme exploration gave me goosebumps. Uh, we also heard from We Have 10 Years Till Where F something something. Uh, that's at Sweet Tweet T W E E T T Dude. Uh, I love how, spoiler alert, season one, episode seven. Big Bad gives a speech at the end of the episode. Now, Season 2, Episode 7, Good Guy gives back the same speech. Uh, and then, Pete, in response to my tweet here, uh, my initial one here, what do you think of the episode and the Gideon's Goose is Cooked, Room Room, Sniper Shandon, Matt Mayfield, uh, we heard from uh, Flanours Unite, that's at So Know This, K-N-O-W, who says, you don't know how much he means to my sister. But, Pete, take us to Facebook. Derek O'Neill writes in on last week's post for chapter 14 the tragedy great podcast as always just to keep the iron fist conversation going season one is second to inhumans season two is significantly better quality uh and easily equal to the other uh netflix marvel shows if fred gets through season one he'll enjoy season two uh, Pete, this is serendipity, okay? Because as you were reading that, I quick looked at Twitter. While we've been recording, uh, James the Sagacious at Big Killin was actually talking about what chances that we give Marvel Netflix rebooting. Um, so if nothing else, Pete, it's proof that the back catalog of Marvel stuff, dare humbly say the back catalog of podcast stuff, um, has an evergreen quality to it and certainly has interest moving forward. Uh, since that message was sent, Matt, uh, Fred, who we'll get to with his audio in a couple minutes, has since admitted, uh, since he hit episode eight of season one of Iron Fist, that the going has suddenly gotten rough and he's still not at what I consider the worst parts. So uh, fingers crossed for Fred. Pete, I like that that uh, we have not exactly as deleted scenes, but here we are in in secretish scenes towards the end of each podcast. We're veering back to the MCU. It shows just the interconnected nature of everything. The Force is with all of us. Steve Adams writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Chapter Fifteen: The Believer answered a question that has plagued this show from the start: Can it be good without Grogu making a single appearance? The short answer is yes. This wasn't the episode I was expecting, but there was still much to enjoy. Pedro Pascal did a tremendous job here, masterfully conveying Mando's obvious discomfort at being seen without his helmet. It also shows how far he is willing to go to save Grogu in the first place. This episode also did a great job of showing the human impact the Empire has had in this galaxy. 
what Palpatine and his followers have done has affected a vast amount of people's lives, and I applaud the people in charge for doing a better job of communicating that in this one episode than we have seen in any of the movies. I think it also raises a fairly uncomfortable question. Even though the Emperor was clearly evil, are the ground-level soldiers, the stormtroopers, all necessarily evil as well. Miggs, obvious guilt over what he participated in, as well as Finn questioning his place in the First Order, demand that we at least examine this question, even if we can't come up with an easy answer. As I said earlier, this isn't what I expected this week. I was looking for a two-part finale, and this wasn't it. However, this was a good episode that actually proved far more thought-provoking than I had anticipated. I have to admit my expectations for next week are high. If Grogu isn't returned safely to Mando, we riot. On to the finale, and stay fantastic. And Matt, he spelled it correctly with the PH. Ooh, love it. That message made me think that maybe uh, Favreau's challenge to the writing room, which is you know himself, and then there's a Filoni script and a, a Rick Famuyiwa script uh, a year, but I think that the, the challenge to season two story perhaps may have been we get that the child is this crossover um, thing, and we get that it's this it's the greatest merchandising thing to happen perhaps to Disney since the Spider-Man film merchandising rights were, were brought bought back from Sony and Spider-Man does like a billion dollars a year of merchandising um, by, by itself. Um, so it's this greatest thing ever. Can we do, I, perhaps the challenge was, can we do one episode without this, without the toy, without the puppet, without the cute? Can we do one without it? Yes. His spirit is part of it. Um, I just wonder if that was perhaps the internal challenge. What kind of episode can we do where it's not and cut to adorable baby that's eating a frog? I mean, it had to happen at some point, right? I mean, the, the first season, as you're watching, you don't quite know. All right, he's he's gotten the asset. He'll deliver it back. The show will then pick up a, a new mission, a new idea. But the evolving building relationship between the two of them and two knowing this character is so stinking adorable you can't possibly get him away from the show uh like i suggested in previous episodes you know you could have him on the show but not have him with uh mando and it could still work this the first episode to never show him shows that it could work but i think the lingering of well when are we going to get to see him again if he's not returned, if he he's written out for a little bit, uh, you know, would the audience, uh, you know, respond? Pete, you note that Grogu, the child, is seen by so many as so stinking adorable. So, too, is our the child, our Fred from the Netherlands, whose wisdom we hear from now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands, with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 7. Did you actually realize that both episodes you are podcasting about this week are talking about a scrap heap? 
In this Mandalorian episode, they got Mayfeld from this prison scrappy labor camp. And in the Star Trek Discovery episode of this week, we learned that Terran Georgiou plucked Burnham from a scrap heap. Nice adventurous episode. The only thing I didn't understand when they arrived at this mining station that Mayfeld took off this helmet or actually didn't put it on again. I know he needed his facial recognition for getting the code, but walking around there and having the risk being recognized, I think that was quite illogical. Having an episode without Grogu was not too bad. I actually didn't miss him too much. Made the episode a little bit more realistic. Although they do a very good job in CGI to move and operate Grogu, it, it still feels a little artificial. And without him there and any other aliens or strange animals, um, made the whole episode a little more realistic. It was nice finally to see Mando's face here. I actually believe in all those 15 episodes we didn't see him really in the face, only from behind, I think. So really seeing Pedro Pascal here was quite nice. Really loved Mayfeld's small talk towards Mando in the Rydanium transporter. And loved his discussion with this officer in the mess hall, Valin Hess, and that he made a point of all the people that were killed. I hope we will see him back somehow. He is a nice character with humor and an opinion about the world. I found Mendo's message towards Moff Gideon at the end a little weak, especially when he says, He means more to me than you will ever know. What the heck? Is that important for Moff Gideon? No. The message that Mendo wants him back, that's important. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, some great thoughts there from Admiral Fred. Uh, I must confess, Pete, I did not make the connection that we had two stars shows this week dealing with scrap heaps. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a line of dialogue repeated several times about where Mirror Michael Burnham came from uh, could be a metaphor. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely appreciate him picking up on that. Um, the mask thing we've seen Pedro Pascal, Din Jaren's face before, remember in chapter eight, redemption, uh, gets his bell rung and IG 11 takes his helmet off to give him the back to spray to, uh, repair his, uh, his computer. Um, Fred hopes that Mayfeld will be back. I think, let me put it this way, Pete. I wasn't necessarily foaming at the, at the bit to have, uh, Mayfeld back after last season, but boy, I didn't know how much I wanted him back because he was pitch perfect in this one. I wanted him back. I want, uh, all of our rogues from that particular episode to reappear at some point the ones he left alive on that prison transport ship that have, I'm sure have been sent to other uh, New Republic uh, corrections facilities. So uh, may maybe even some escapes. And we know they have their beef with Mando as well. So hope we'll get them back. So Pete, your thoughts here, Fred did not love this 
uh, this callback that Mando has back to Gideon's words, I think it's obviously meant to play to the audience in terms of the same thing got said. Um, I think for Fred, within the world of the story, it didn't quite ring word for word true the way it you know, rung for us sitting at home on the couch. Uh, your thoughts there? Respectfully, with the previously on and the repetition there, and then the change up in the dialogue... Rather than it, Grogu becomes he. There's the personalization there. I think it was chilling. If, Matt, if Giancarlo Esposito um, was interested in showing fear as an actor, he would. Though we don't see it, I'm sure internally, um, Moff Gideon is terrified. Well, Pete, this entire episode made possible by those who keep us listener-supported on Patreon.com slash FantasticGeek. So proud to know that, uh, particularly this time of year, as some of those bills come in, that uh, we have some help along the way. Everybody who contributes, and you get to name how much you would like to contribute towards this podcast, gets access to exclusive content, whether it's early listens or things you can't find anywhere else just takes a dollar to get in that door can't contribute this week matt get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us on a review uh any of our 20 podcast feeds be helping us out there as well so pete how can people be in touch with you to share their predictions ahead of the december 18th drop of the season two finale you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,724 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me touch the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. With the countdown having begun for the end of this season, Pete, those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast, know that we'll be back next Saturday to uh, talk about Discovery Episode 310. If you're here just for The Mandalorian, talk to you as next weekend concludes as we uh, as we start to wrap up this season here. For now, though, Pete, I'll say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. He means more to me than you will ever know.